somehow when there's something pretty intense happening that everybody's experiencing together, like the great blizzard or great thunder, it really brings us together. We're kind of not doing our personal thing as much as here we are, you know, that feeling. There's a word, bodhicitta, and it means the awakened heart. And the path of awakening, the path of awakening our own heart of wisdom, has to do with the willingness to touch into that which makes us fully human, the place that we all experience different times in different ways, where we're soft, where we're tender, where we're touched. So I'd like to talk tonight about this path of awakening, about bodhicitta, the awakened heart. There can be a misunderstanding about meditation that I see in new people and in myself and in many, it just it doesn't really doesn't matter how long you've been practicing. We get into this mentality that we're coming to meditate or practice in order to in some way improve ourselves or change ourselves, fix ourselves. Whereas when we really look closely in any given sitting, what's happening is we're simply learning to come more fully into what is true here and now, to touch more fully our own nature. It's as T.S. Eliot says, and at the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time to really know ourselves. And in knowing ourselves, really know life, touch life fully. Many people have an experience of certain times feeling like this is really who I am. This is the real me. And it's at the times when we're least tied up in knots of fear, least wanting something, trying to move into the future and make things different. It's when we've really kind of settled into the moment and feel, ah, you know, this is who I am. There's a presence with ourselves, with each other. When we're in that place, there's an ease to generosity. It's kind of natural to give. We're not holding on tight. There's a natural compassion that arises when we sense suffering. Now, it is a universal, it's part of the human condition that we all have this mix of pleasure and pain in our lives. And if we want to be fully who we are, what's required of us is this willingness to face open-heartedly all of that. This path of bodhicitta is really a path of willingness. And I think willingness is this, an important word, that every time you come here and you sit down and sit still, there's an element of willingness to just touch whatever is in that moment. To be willing to open to what's difficult. The Buddha described compassion, this willingness to be with pain, as a divine abode. It's been described as the quivering of the heart in response to pain. We know what it's like. It's that sense of connectedness that allows us to really respond with care to the pain that we feel inside ourselves or inside each other. And it's what connects us with all beings. So the practice of meditation in one way can be understood as a practice of putting down armor, putting down all the ways that we resist life. Because resistance is the name of the game when we look closely at how we do our day. We're kind of busy maneuvering through our day to, to maximize what's pleasant and to keep at bay what might be difficult. 
So meditation practice is kind of turning that around. It's deconditioning that and saying, all right, I'm here and I'm willing to open the door to whatever arises in life. Compassion is freedom. It's freedom to live and fully be with what is. And yet it has a shadow side in the way that in this culture we understand it. Now, the opposite of compassion, the full shadow of compassion, as you might imagine, is cruelty. When we feel very, very separate and very, very scared, there's no relatedness. And then out of our fear, we can create a lot of suffering. But there's also what's called the near enemy of compassion, and that's pity. When our compassion's laced with a sense of fear or anxiety, we don't really want to touch what's there, we pity the one that's suffering. There's some care there, but do you know how pity is? There's a slight distancing, and there's a little, I'm, I'm a little bit better than, superior than, and distance from, and then that's pity. Last year, I read a beautiful story written by an American writer who had gone to Bosnia, and she considered herself a social activist, and her purpose in going there was to let the world know. And she had a lot of care about the suffering and the uh, atrocities that were going on there. And here's how she described her initial approach to things. She said, I was hearing the refugees' stories as potential dramas, measuring their words in terms of beats and momentum. This approach made me feel cold, impervious, and superior. So she started out that way, but she described how when she started hearing the real stories and getting it, the stories of rapes and torture, of loss of dignity, death of parents and of children, her defenses started breaking down, as well any of ours if we really let ourselves listen to the pain within and around us. Her defenses started breaking down, and she realized how she had been defending, using her position to defend against the enormity of the suffering. She had used her, her position to defend against the love that she felt. She then wrote that she, the only way to really open was just to sit in a circle of women, in her case, and just let everyone tell their stories until the identities and boundaries fell away. Quote, melt me, let me dissolve, let me release my hard identity, let me be swallowed by the circle, let me not matter. Let me be homeless, homesick. Please break me. Please make me a toothless, laughing woman, not worrying about my turn, my message, my serving, my creation, my moment. Please make me ready to sit in the circle. Deep in each of us, we want to sit in the circle. We don't want to be so preoccupied with me, so self-absorbed, because it's painful. You know, when you really sense what self-absorption's like, it's not pleasant. It's small and tight and separate. It does not feel good. We want to be in a circle with each other. We want to be open to listening to what's true within ourselves and with each other without creating these distances, and yet we have such strong conditioning to stay separate, to hear the news and not really relate to the pain that's being described in it. So one shadow side of compassion is the way we just pull off a bit into pity. Another which is very common, is that out of our fears of what other people will think of us, out of our own sense of neediness, in guise of compassion, we actually act in a way that this culture calls codependent. 
You know, we feel that we're being compassionate and generous and caring and giving, and yet it's out of a sense of real dependency. <coughs> now, the classic example is, which you all know, is in a in the sense of substance abuse and, let's say, in an alcoholic family, the way family and friends will, you know, in the guise of caring, protect somebody and not really confront. But it happens in so many ways, so many ways that we keep on giving and trying to take care of others. But it's coming from a sense of low self-esteem, not feeling worthy, not really taking care of ourselves. So these are kind of immature shadow sides of compassion. Codependence arises when we've lost contact with what's really true within us and each other. When instead we're being driven by a fearful, needy kind of a sense within ourselves, but not really being fully with ourselves. Mature love is not dependent, but interdependent, based on respect, based on a true caring that's not fear-driven. So it becomes a really important question to ask when we're just watching our own unfolding of, of really what is coming from dependency or neediness or fear, and what is really true compassion? When do we really live in a moment of true compassionate awareness. The Buddha described as the most direct way to start making that distinction, to become mindful of the state of heart, the state of mind that is driving our activity. That we're, when we're with other beings and we're feeling in some way that confused about where we're coming from, to really ask that question, what is my intention? Where am I coming from? Is it from fear? Is it from a more pure type of caring? So one way to start moving from the immature or shadow side of caring to mature compassion is this wakefulness to where it's coming from. But another is simply to start where we are with whatever our experience is in the moment and bring compassion to our own inner life. Tonight I'm going to be talking about techniques that cultivate compassion. And it always starts within ourselves. Before we can bring care and help to others, if there's a strong feeling of pain or difficulty within ourselves, we need to bring our heart to that. Now, Vipassana, what we did tonight to start, and what most of you have been practicing, is the grounds. This capacity to bring a wakeful attention to just right now, to hear the sounds, to feel our breath, to know what's true, to know the mood in our body. That without that capacity for presence or for attention, there's no way to bring heart and care to what's going on within us. So the grounds of all cultivation of compassion is mindfulness. But in addition, there are practices we can do that can really soften and open our hearts. The Tibetans teach a practice called Tonglen, and that is something that I'm going to describe some, and then we'll do tonight together. And the basic principle behind it is, first, an understanding of suffering, what makes us suffer. And as the Buddha described, and many of you have heard me talk about this, our suffering comes from this deep sense of dissatisfaction, resisting how this moment is, I don't like this moment, pushing it away, or grasping after something that inevitably will die or dissolve or disappear, trying to hold on to things, 
trying to push away things, that that is the source of suffering. What Tonglen does is it flips it so that each moment as you breathe in, instead of resisting life, there's a sense of breathing in whatever is difficult or painful or has been resisted, to be willing to touch fully what we've pushed away, what we haven't accepted. That's the in-breath. And with the out-breath, to let go, to give away or to share what we value. Do you see how that just turns on its face, all of our conditioning? Our conditioning when something's good is to hold on tight. And of course, that's painful, but that's what we do. We try to hold it, keep it, be personal about it. To just keep giving it away with the out-breath to give away love, to give away a sense of spaciousness, to give away our blessings, our wishes. And with the in-breath, to take in what's painful, to take in what's difficult, to take in what we have pushed out of our hearts. So that's the essence of Tonglen. And it opens us to freedom. Our sense of self and of smallness and of fear is all built around these ideas of holding on and resisting. So as soon as we begin to feel we have this capacity to open to what's there, there's a deep sense of well-being, a deep sense of freedom. Now there's four steps to this practice, and I'm going to kind of walk through them one by one, and then when I'm done with the talking, we will sit in and just explain explore it a little bit more experientially. The first step is described as flashing openness. And what that means is that before you even sit and do the breathing part, just for a moment to flash the awareness on spaciousness, how big it all is. Just imagine, just sense open space, open skies, and to sense within that this changing world of appearances. It's all changing, it's all impermanent, it's all passing, and it's all happening in vast open space. We can only flash on openness if we drop our thinking and just sense it. It's very experiential. There's a slogan, and I'm going to be telling you a few slogans that are part of what's called lojong, our training of the mind to help incline us towards compassion. The slogan that's helpful in flashing on openness is, here it is officially, it says, regard all dharmas as dreams. Every situation is a passing memory. Now, dharmas are experience, whatever you experience to regard as a dream. And ironically, when you do so, it becomes very vivid and alive. Everything's a passing memory. The thunder you heard when you were sitting quietly in meditation, a passing memory. The chanting we did to open this class, the drive you took when you came here, even the moving forward and coming together at the beginning of this talk, all of it, everything in your life that's happened so far, a passing memory. Now, frequently, when we talk about impermanence, there's this sense of, yeah, I know about that. You know, it's all changing. But when we sincerely look and look closely and feel in our bodies, how every moment is coming and going and arising and passing, we begin to see it's not such a solid, substantial, reliable world as we thought. Now, what is the value of doing this? Why meditate on impermanence, on this spacious, changing universe of appearances? What we discover when we do this is that a sense of space, the sense of impermanence, actually allows us to lighten up. We recognize it's not such a big deal. You know, this too will pass. Many of us know this personally. We know what it's like, let's say, in a relationship to get into a phase where we're really hooked into an infatuation our anger, 
and how months later we look back and, you know, where was I, you know? What, why was this such a big deal? We know that with the passing of time that things change and it really affects how free we feel. So this flashing on openness can kind of open our minds up to sensing that it's all passing, that there's plenty of space, that we don't have to take it all so seriously. It can lighten us up. And there's no way to be present if we're too heavy. You know, there needs to be some lightness in the awareness, a gentle, open kind of quality. Step one, flash on openness. Step two, is to visualize that as you breathe in, and you can do this for a moment right now, just close your eyes and imagine this, that you're breathing in dark, heavy, and hot energy, the texture of dark, heavy, and hot. And as you breathe out, you're breathing out white, light, and cool energy. Breathing in heavy, dark, and hot. Breathing out light, white, cool. It's just working with textures. So these are the two kind of preparatory steps that you do when you're formally practicing Tonglen. Now sometimes you just start instantaneously because a situation arises and you just skip those two steps. But if you're sitting down and you're saying, okay, now I'm going to do Tonglen, these are ways of warming up and opening up to the process. The third is to choose a specific person that you'd like to help. It could be yourself if you're feeling discomfort or suffering right this moment, or it could be someone else. The guidelines are initially, if it's someone else, to choose someone that's not complicated. What that means, where the love isn't too complicated, rather than maybe your partner, It could be someone very old or very young, someone sick, where there's not some sort of a complicated energy going on, where it's easy to just simply want to help. So you choose someone like that. It could be an animal, some being that you want to help. And then what you do is you breathe in and breathe in their pain, their suffering. And as you breathe out, you breathe out whatever might help them. Relief, love, care, spaciousness. Breathing in their pain are your own. And for many of us, a lot of the time, we start with ourselves. And that's absolutely right on. Breathing out relief, comfort, care, love a very direct way to connect. After we've done this for a while, we go to step four. And step four is to extend this out to all beings that are suffering in the same way. So if you felt a lot of anger and you've been breathing in and really feeling and touching your anger and you've been breathing out and offering the wish for freedom or for wisdom or for a lightening up, whatever it is, then in step four, you reflect on all the beings. It's like the rage of sentient beings that have felt the pain and the contraction and the hurt from anger. And you offer that same process of breathing and feeling the anger or rage of all beings and exhaling and offering care or freedom or whatever to all beings. Now, if you did just step three with one being, but you didn't open it to all beings, the practice would lack the kind of vision and the sense of the universality of our humanity, of all, that it's all of us that's possible. So that's why we always include step four, this extending out to include all beings. And if you just did step four, you know how in the metta practice we do, may all beings be happy, you know? You did just step four, but you didn't already in a very immediate, real, untheoretical way have linked it into yourself or another being. It can be abstract without real sense of substance and heart. 
I know for myself a number of years ago, when I, I started this practice in a little bit of a different form, I saw a news show, it was on some country in Africa where there was horrendous starvation and famine, and it focused in on one woman who had an infant and about 10 other little children, and the woman was starving, and she was so starving that she couldn't nurse her infant, so her infant was dying. And that one image of that woman was so powerful, I mean, it just broke me down and opened me up, that whenever, for quite a long time, I wanted to kind of connect into this practice, that would be the place I'd start. The suffering that comes of not, of feeling ourselves unable to helpless to help. And most of us know that. We've seen people close to us suffer and we've just been powerless to help. And, and that was, you know, a profound and, and it was not, it wasn't complicated. It was a very easy way to feel my heart so soften and open. We each have that. We each have experiences of other people that can quite directly allow us to feel that tenderness and vulnerability in our own hearts. And then to open it to the suffering of all beings. So as I mentioned, the most compelling and natural starting place in this practice and what is what arises daily in ourselves that any moment, today, tomorrow, that you feel a surge in your own being of, of either loneliness and emptiness or sadness or fear or anger or whatever the particular wave of suffering is, to let that be like a flag. Ah, that's right. How to let this be the grounds of awakening? How can I awaken my heart this moment? To breathe it in, to open to it, to not resist it to breathe out and offer that prayer of kindness. That's the practice of Tonglen. Now there's another slogan that helps bring this alive in the day that I find very useful. Sometimes the language, um, the translation is a little awkward. In the immediate translation it says, when the world is filled with evil, transform all mishaps into the path of Bodhi. Now what that means is, when there's suffering, let it be the grounds of awakening. Just that. What if day by day as we move through our life, whenever we discovered pain inside ourselves or inside another being, instead of judging, pushing it away, acting out of it, that flag went up in our mind going, ah, chance to wake up chance to open up my heart. What a beautiful way to live, you know? Because it, it happens to us every day, they're suffering. Let all mishaps be the grounds of Bodhi, the grounds of awakening. There's this idea that there's really no interruptions on the path of awakening. Some of us think that way. We think, well, if I can just get over this stage of my life, if I can just get out of graduate school, or once I'm away from this relationship, or once I'm in that retreat in the mountains, you know, that mentality? Because life right now is kind of an interruption to the path. There's no interruption. The idea and principles of cultivating compassion are based on a recognition that whatever is going on in your life right now has the capacity to wake up your heart, whatever it is. Our tendency, as I mentioned, is to not think that way and instead to resist what's uncomfortable, to resist the demons in some way to try to fix them or ignore them or act out on them, fight them. I'd like to share you, with you a classical story This is about Melarepa, who was a, one of the great Tibetan masters. And he was a lineage holder of the Kagyu tradition. 
And he was a hero and a crazy man and a loner, and he meditated for many, many years. One evening, Melarepa returned to his cave after gathering firewood, only to find it filled with demons. Now, they were cooking his food, reading his books, sleeping in his bed. They had taken over the joint. He knew about non-duality of self and other, but he still didn't quite know how to get these guys out of his cave. Even though he had the sense that they were just a projection of his own mind, all the unwanted parts of himself, he didn't know how to get rid of them. So first he taught them the Dharma, you know, the teachings of truth. He sat kind of on a high seat and just gave them these Dharma talks about compassion and about emptiness and about how all the poisons of life are medicine, just as we've been talking about. Nothing happened. The demons were still there. Then he lost his patience and got angry and ran at them. They just laughed at him. Finally, he gave up and just sat down on the floor saying, I'm not going away, and it looks like you're not going either, so let's just live here together. At that point, all of them left except one. Melarepa said, oh, this one is particularly vicious. Now, we all know that one. We each have one or a few of those that we've pulled all our strategies out, and that one's still there, right? He didn't know what to do, so he surrendered himself even further. He walked over and put himself right into the mouth of the demon and said, just eat me up if you want to. Then that demon left too. The moral of the story, when the resistance is gone, so are the demons. When we stop pushing away what's difficult, we're free from our suffering. In one way, all of spiritual practice can be understood as this letting go of resistances. Each moment that we sit and we're willing to be with what's here, we're letting go of the different ways we resist. We resist by acting out. We resist by repressing. We each know this in our life. If you think of a situation where in some way you've been insulted or offended or hurt, how do we deal with that usually, you know? When we've been hurt, we usually either strike back in some way or we push it under. We kind of martyr ourselves and we shove it under and we don't really listen to the fact that we've been hurt. These Tonglen practices are a middle way to not repress, to not act out, but to be with. That's the path of compassion, to be with the experience. Now you might reflect for a moment, and this is something that has to do with one of our most basic habits. Reflect on somebody right now in your life that you might feel a bit resentful towards, if there's anyone. Maybe few of you are free of that. But reflect on someone, if there is someone, where you feel resentful or judgmental, where you're blaming them for something. For most of us, one of our major ways of reacting is to blame. That's our major way of acting out, is to judge or blame ourselves or others. So to consider that, and then take a moment, if you will, to drop under the story of why you're blaming them and what they did wrong, and just feel what the experience is in your stomach or in your body of all about that what the blame feels like in your body. There's a slogan, drive all the blames into one. And that's what you're doing right now to drop under the storyline of where we're putting out blame and just simply to feel the experience in a direct, immediate way. It takes courage. 
Because what most of us discover is that there's pain or fear or discomfort in there that we have to open to when we're not putting it out on someone else. Do you know what I mean? That when we're caught with a lot of that fearful, anxious experience, it's so much easier to put it out, to blame others. So as soon as we cut under the storyline, we're left sitting in it. It takes a lot of courage, but it also is the opening to a real honest way of relating to ourselves and our lives. Now there's a paradox, which is that blaming comes out of the fear that the pain won't go away. When we're judging and blaming, that's what's going on. If I don't ship up or shape out or whatever it is, you know, if I don't change, if I don't put myself down, it won't happen. Do you know that feeling? If you don't keep on your own case, you'll never change. Our parents know this one real well. If you don't keep on your kid's case, there's this fear that they'll never be a happy person, they'll never become what they should become. It's a really hard conditioning to break. This, this conditioning out of our fear to judge and put down and blame. So it's a radical practice to remember the slogan that in the midst of blaming, whether it's yourself or another person, to cut the storyline, drop in. It's an amazingly powerful practice. The reason it takes courage, as I mentioned, is because when we're not blaming others, what we touch into is the place of woundedness, of shakiness, of tenderness in our own being, which is really quite beautiful and what connects us to all beings, and yet we're conditioned not to want to touch that place. This is a story about Chogyam Trungpa, and it starts by describing a guy who lived in L.A., and he was a member of a gang there. See if I can find it. Well, I'll have to tell it to you by memory and see if I remember it well. This guy lived in a very rough neighborhood in L.A. And he had such a chip he was carrying on his shoulder that anyone that would come up to him and say anything, he'd lash out at. Like the whole world was his enemy. Everybody was, fuck you, you know. He, he, just, he just put down and blamed the world for his pain. And he was really tough. Um, his family wanted to try to get him out of L.A. because of the conditions of his environment. So one summer they sent him to Boulder to spend a summer in Boulder. And some folks uh, that were involved with Chogyam Trungpa, Rinpoche's group, were um, there. They had a center in Boulder. And somehow or other this young guy came to one of the gatherings of these Tibetan Buddhists. And at the gathering, they did some meditation, and Trungpa gave a talk. And at the end, he sang some anthem that they sing at their gatherings regularly. And most of the group had been through this already. He had a very um, weird voice. <laughs> so he would just build out this anthem, and everybody would kind of like, <laughs> quiver at it because it was just a very, you know, strange, shaky voice, but he just belted it out. So everybody was kind of in there embarrassed, well, here he goes doing this. For the most part, you know, he's this very wise, lovable teacher, but he just sang funny. <laughs> well, this kid from the gangs sat, stood there and listened, and then tears started coming down his eyes, and then he just started crying and crying. 
And he later told the others that had brought him, he said, that guy is so brave, he doesn't mind making a fool of himself. It really touched him that someone was willing to just be who they were, that didn't have to wear a lot of armor. And as it turned out, he was, had the good fortune to continue having some involvement with that group and, be, and go to school afterward and really ripened to being quite a serviceful and wonderful young man. And that was the turning point, the sense that he did not have to wear armor. He saw a man that had the courage to be himself. Some of us touch that now and then. We feel that freedom of, I can just be who I am, you know? I can be silly, I can be weird, I can be foolish. And there's this real liberating freedom to it. I can feel this grief and let other people know it's there. I can be scared. And then we shut down again and put our armor on and really block out the world. So this path of bodhicitta, of awakening our hearts, is really this willingness to touch and feel and be and live all that we are. I get a little of that feeling when I hear that story about Trungpa, um, a little bit of that feeling when I hear um, Yogi Berra. <laughs> you know, all know Yogi Berra. Well, he, Yogi Berra happens to come from Montclair, New Jersey, which is my hometown. So I take a special interest in him. And last week he gave a talk to the graduating seniors at Montclair State. I want to give you some of my famous advice. First, you know this one. Never give up because it ain't over till it's over. Second, this is the best. In the years ahead, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. <laughs> Don't always follow the crowd. Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Fourth, stay alert. You can observe a lot by watching. And fifth, and last, remember that whatever you do in life, 90% of it is half mental. He closed saying, thank you, Montclair State University, for making this day necessary. So he didn't mind making a presentation of who he was. Some of you have read the Carlos Castaneda books and know that in the teachings of Don Juan the Shaman, one of the most important parts of the path is having a worthy opponent. Some of you remember that? A worthy opponent? The worthy opponent is the person that just brings up all your stuff. Well, in these Tonglen teachings, one of the key phrases is, be grateful to everyone. Because as soon as we decide, okay, I'm going to begin to open my heart. I'm going to begin to let beings in. I'm going to begin to touch what comes up. It'll really happen a lot. That we'll keep on meeting our edge over and over again. And that many people that we start opening to will have the capacity to bring up stuff. If you made a list of the people that bother you the most, you know, if you made that list, what you discover is many of the unaccepted or rejected parts of your own being. Every being that we encounter, including every part of our own being, is an opportunity to wake up, to soften our hearts. So this slogan, be grateful to everyone, is this reminder that whether it's a person that you love a lot and care a lot about or a person that you've been kind of trying to have nothing to do with, avoid, each being can help us to wake up. And in waking up, help us to sense that place of goodness that we all share, that place of natural connection and communion. There was a great Buddhist teacher, Atisha, and he went to Tibet, and he had been practicing these teachings of Lojong, our Tonglen. He's been practicing having the people in his life be part of what would wake him up, mirror the difficult parts in himself. 
and anytime anything arose, practicing breathing in what's difficult and, and breathing out love, you know, really waking up and letting go of his sense of small self through these practices. And he valued the people in his life who continued to show him his blind spots. And he was told that the people of Tibet were very good-natured, earthy, flexible, and open. And he decided that they wouldn't be irritating enough to push his buttons. So he brought along with him a means-tempered, ornery Bengali tea boy. He figured this was the only way he could stay awake. You know, somebody would keep on bugging him. And as the Tibetans tell the story, when he got to Tibet, he realized he need not have brought his tea boy. The people there were not as pleasant as he had been told. <laughs> the one intention that carries us, that opens us, is that intention to let all our experiences open us in a heart way, to let everything awaken us. If we keep coming back to that intention, our days are not boring, ever. Each moment is a possible moment of touching that tender place in our hearts that really connects us with all other beings. Last week, I gave the metaphor of our ego being like a a room that we keep closed. We have lots of locks on the doors and the windows are closed and we try to control the temperature and control everything else to protect ourselves. And that gradually as we practice presence we begin to invite in life. You know, we kind of start opening up the windows and unlocking the doors and you know, first our circle of affections rather small who we let in. But over time, we take the risk, and it's always a risk, whether we're listening to our own being, or letting in a person that's seemingly a kindred spirit, or someone that seems more different. It's a risk. We're risking having to touch something that's difficult. But as we practice, we begin to, to open it up more and more, and begin to sense the potential that at some point, as we move on, we really can invite in all sentient beings. Now, it can be idealistic if we say, well, that's what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. I'm going to, everywhere I go, whatever I do, I'm going to open myself wide open. Because what happens? Remember the shadow side of compassion? Those tendencies to do things but have a sense of unworthiness, not know how to set boundaries that are wholesome come in. So we do this gradually. It's a gradual practice. We open the doors and we also know that if we need to, we can shut the doors. That's important. This is not to be some sort of a driven practice, but rather a sane way of gradually opening our hearts and minds. But when we shut down, when we go back inside, when, into a sense of separateness, what can make it beneficial is if we maintain that intention when we're closing doors to touch into a sense of resourcefulness, to regroup, to reconnect with some humor, some patience, to flash openness, to become empowered again so that we can open the doors again. When we open to the grief and the joy and all that we experience that comes up when we open those doors, what we do is connect in a very deep way with the experience of all humans, with our own humanity. This is Rumi. The minute I heard my first love story, I started looking for you, not knowing how blind that was. Lovers don't finally meet somewhere. They're in each other all along. The minute I heard my first love story, I started looking for you, not knowing how blind that was. Lovers don't finally meet somewhere. They're in each other all along. When we open to what's within ourselves in an honest and caring way, what we're doing is opening to what's within all beings. 
we develop that capacity to really be present for each other, the path of compassion. It has to be done gently. It's the only way. That that be our intention, to awaken and to do it gently, with some ease. So let's practice a little together tonight, and then we'll close. Take a moment, if you will, just to stretch your legs, and then come sitting up again. And starting the Tonglen practice quite simply with that flashing on openness. Sense space. Sense the moving, changing nature of all that appears in this space. Sounds arise, change, dissolve. Sensations appear move, the changing dance of sensations. The breath moves, it's all changing. Experience in a vast space of awareness, flashing on openness. And then coming quite simply into the breath in this guided manner that as you breathe in, sensing dark, hot, heavy. Breathing out, cool, light, white. Breathing in, dark, heavy, and hot. Texture, sense of the breath. Breathing out, white, light, cool. It's taking a few moments to sense that. Choosing now a particular person that you'd like to help. If there's some pain emotionally or physically within your own being, to let that be yourself. If not, to choose someone in your life, if possible, where the relationship's uncomplicated. And sensing the pain within yourself or that being Breathing in and breathing in that pain. Breathing out and breathing out to yourself or that person a sense of spaciousness or kindness or whatever might help. Breathing in, willing to receive and feel fully the pain of this person or your own being, the vulnerability, the woundedness. Breathing out care, spaciousness, kindness. Breathing in, opening, receiving the pain that's there with a sense of willingness. Breathing out, opening and letting go with your wish, your care, whatever blessing you can offer. Very sincere, direct experience, breathing in, feeling the pain. Breathing out, letting go with care, offering your blessing.
Now extending out to breathe in and sense it's the suffering of all beings that so many suffer in this way. Whether it's anger or fear or whatever it is, to sense it as the humanity that suffers it. Breathing in the suffering of all beings. It's not possessed by just one person. As you exhale, breathing out the blessing, the wish, the prayer, the love to all beings. Sensing the universal suffering, breathing in, opening to it, breathing out, letting go and offering your prayer, your care. Closing as we opened with the universal sound current of OM, connecting our voices, our hearts. Please inhale deeply and then exhale. Inhaling together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.